Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this class on Abraham for the Thames Valley and Watford Churches of Christ as part of our A New Thing series at the beginning of 2024. Abraham, what do we normally talk about when we talk about Abraham? The promises, the obedience, uh, some of his failings indeed, and the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22. There are lots of things one can teach and preach about. But one thing that gets a bit less attention is what happens in Genesis 18. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at God doing a new thing in this series, a new thing, a new thing in his relationship with Abraham and thereby Abraham having a, a new experience of his relationship with God. And we'll look at what that teaches us about God and about faith and what we might be learning from that. And this class is designed to end with a few questions so that then we can have some discussion with a friend or in a small group together. But what we learn about the relationship uh, with God, that is useful for us. So we're in Genesis 18, and right before the section we're going to look at, which starts in verse 16, we see that the Lord, had, the Lord has appeared to Abraham, and he has reiterated the promise of an heir. And he says in verse 10, I will surely return, return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And there's more we could talk about there, but we'll leave that for now. That's the, uh, that's the context for the next part of the conversation between God and Abraham in Genesis 18. So verse 16, the men get up to leave, they get up to leave, they look down to Sodom. Abraham walks with them. Then the Lord said in verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. A great summary of God's purposes for Abraham. A lot of parallels there for, there for us and, and being a Christian. Come back to that perhaps another time. Then the Lord said, verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turn away and go towards Sodom. Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away? and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, verse 26, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham speaks up and he asks, well, what about five less than 50? The Lord says, okay. Uh, Abraham speaks up again. What if I find 30 there? Uh, what about 20? And he goes down as far as 10. And it says that when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. Abraham returned home. A lot we could talk about here, but let's talk about two main points. And let me see what you think about it. So first of all, one thing I see here about this new development of the relationship between Abraham and the Lord, which is a strong relationship and has already a lot of history. But there's something something different going on here, it seems to me, which is that what's being revealed to Abraham, in a sense, is that God trusts him. God trusts Abraham. He involves himself with Abraham in a way that is more intimate and new from the way that he has so far 
interacted with Abraham. God trusts Abraham. First of all, God reveals himself. It is the Lord standing there with Abraham. We don't know exactly what that looked like and how it felt to Abraham, but there's something very intimate going on here in whatever way God has done this. God reveals himself by accepting hospitality from Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There's a fellowshipping and eating together. It's really intimate. God also reveals his plans, not only about Abraham and his son, but now about Sodom and what he's going to do there. He involves him. In other words, in a sense, God is practicing vulnerability with Abraham. Now, God's not vulnerable in the same way that you and I are, but he's expressing some kind of relational vulnerability here, which is extraordinary if you consider who it is that's speaking. It is the Lord. And I think what God's getting across to Abraham here is a sense of partnership with Abraham. And that is a new thing, this partnership. And it's something that is only slightly developed to a certain extent in the Old Covenant, but comes to its fruition in the New. We'll talk about that a bit more in a moment. The Tyndale commentary on this section of Scripture says that Abraham was no yes man. He was a true partner. Now, he was a yes man in the sense that when God ordered him to do things, he obeyed. And we see that again and again, not perfectly, but we do see it quite often in Abraham's relationship with God. He is obedient, but he's not a yes man, as in an unthinking yes man. He's a true partner. I think that's an interesting point. What does it mean to be in partnership with God? And Abraham gives us some idea of this in this incident in Genesis 18. It might remind you of Jesus treating his disciples as friends. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. You see the parallel here? God is telling him what his business is and involving Abraham. Jesus says, it's not that you don't know the master's business anymore. Instead, I have called you friends. Friends. Think about that word. Friends. How intimate, how close, how loving, how much of a partnership a friendship is. Jesus said, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. What I know, you know. We're partners in this. There's a trust going on there. Abraham trusts, or tr God trusts Abraham to involve him in his plans. Jesus trusts you and me to be partners with him in his mission on this earth and his vision for humankind in the kingdom. Do you believe, do you sense that God trusts you, that he partners with you. What is it maybe that helps you to believe, to see that Jesus sees you as his friend? Because didn't he make himself vulnerable? We're talking about vulnerability. He made himself vulnerable. And how did he do that? Well, he did that by coming to share in our flesh and to go to the cross. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. Be uh, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be, and I like the word here in the NRSV translation, as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As Brene Brown says in her book, Daring Greatly, vulnerability begets vulnerability. Courage is contagious. Jesus had the courage to take on our form 
It helps us to be courageous. Jesus was, in a sense, vulnerable with us by taking on our human form. And that helps us to be vulnerable, open, if you like, with him, to see him as our friend, to understand and accept him as our friend as well as our Lord and Master. What do you think about these thoughts? You might like to meditate on a song. There's a song by a singing group called Point of Grace. The song's title is He Believes in You. It's about how God believes in us. I've put a link to a YouTube version as well as the audio and a bit of the background to the song in the show notes. You might like to have a look at that, perhaps listen to the song, read through the lyrics. But there's a sense in which, and I think they phrased it deliberately this way, he believes in you. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? God believes in us. But I think it's phrased in that way to make us think about what we actually believe. Do we believe God trusts us? It's amazing how much God trusts Abraham here by involving him in his thinking, his plans, and to understand him better. That's our first thing that I see in this passage. The second thing is, as much as God trusts Abraham, of course, we see that Abraham trusts God, doesn't he? Abraham trusts God. Firstly, the first thing is that Abraham trusts that God will listen to him. I mean, he, he starts to speak to God here about, but, but what about if there are 50 righteous? What about 45? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? He actually believes that God will listen to him. There's a sense in which he understands the nature of God, the heart of God, that I can talk to God like this. He trusts that he can he can reason with God. Now, respectfully, of course, and Abraham understands something that perhaps Job didn't, right? You may remember that Job justifies himself. It, 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 read through. So I've been reading through Job recently, and uh, you'll, you'll see this if you go back to Job and his own reasoning uh, with his friends as to why he shouldn't be treated this way, why something's gone wrong and God isn't treating him right. And then you may remember in chapter 38, God breaks in. After 38 chapters, God breaks in and it says that the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. You will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And the chapter goes on. Have a, have a look at that. It'll refresh uh, your understanding of the difference between what Abraham's doing here, which is respectful, and what Job was doing, which was not. Reasoning with God is acceptable. It's fine to do that. We see that in Abraham. It just needs to be done in the right way. Abraham appeals to what he knows about the nature of God to help with the reasoning. Some people say this is like God, uh, Abraham haggling with God. Like if he can get down to the right number, God will spare Sodom. Maybe he should have kept going to five or to two or even to one and not stop at ten. I don't think fundamentally Abraham is haggling with God. I think he's exploring. He's exploring God's intentions. To some extent, he's exploring God's heart. He's trying to understand what God is doing. There's exploring. And there's something there for us with God, I believe, that when we trust God, we will explore with him what he's doing in our lives, what he's doing in our world, what he's doing perhaps in our local group, our church, our family group, our small group, exploring what's going on with God in prayer, engaging with him to understand what he is up to is part of our relationship with him. And it's part of a normal, healthy prayer life. Not haggling, exploring. 
Perhaps an example from the life of Jesus may help here. Remember Jesus with the Greek woman in Mark chapter 7 and verse 26? She comes to beg Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus replies, rather interestingly and strangely, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, this is the reasoning and exploring bit. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter and she is healed. Was Jesus waiting for her to give him the right answer? Or is she given the opportunity to explore what Jesus is all about and how he thinks and what his priorities are? Reasoning, exploring, it's part of our relationship with God, which must not be neglected. So wrapping up, what does Abraham learn in Genesis chapter 18? I think he learns a number of things. Number one, God really cares about people. He is going to deal with Sodom, but he cares about people. He only needs a few righteous people. He really cares. Secondly, God wants to include him in his plans. He wants to involve Abraham. He's willing to be that, in a sense, vulnerable with Abraham so that Abraham can be a partner with him. He learns that God listens to him. He's interested in what Abraham has to say. And this is all old covenant. We, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit in the same way that you and I do. So it's quite extraordinary that we see this here, and it's instructional for us to understand this is the way that God thinks. What do we learn here from this example? Well, a few things, but perhaps the importance of trusting that God wants to hear from you and me. He really wants to. In Psalm 141 verse 2, may my prayer be set before you like incense. That's something that smells good. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice, sacrifices that pleased God. And that connects with Revelation 5 and verse 8, when we see the four living creatures, 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, beautiful music, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Golden bowls, not just some plain old bowl, but a golden one full, like to the brim of incense, sweet smelling. And what is this incense metaphorically? What is it that's in this bowl, the golden bowl? What's more, what's valuable enough to be in a golden bowl? The prayers of God's people. Your prayers, my prayers, are valuable enough to God to smell good and to be put in a golden bowl. This God really wants to hear our prayers. He is interested in you and me and what's on our mind, what's on our hearts. He wants to hear from us. And we also learn, I think, from this situation with Abraham, the value in taking issues to God in prayer and exploring them with him. Sometimes it's right, you know, we have a prayer list and we pray for things, but part of having things on a list is not just to tick them off the list in prayer, but to explore them with God. God, what are you doing? What am I meant to be learning from this? What are the people I'm praying for meant to be learning from this? What is my part in this? And maybe what is not my part in this? What are you teaching me about yourself in this situation? Many other ways we can explore it. So some questions for reflection personally and perhaps discussion with other friends of yours. First question, what does it mean to you to talk to your Heavenly Father like a friend or, to, or perhaps to Jesus like a friend? What does it mean to have a friendship like that? And what barriers exist to prevent that, get in the way of that? And what can you do about it? Because that's not meant to be, there are not meant to be any barriers there. It's meant to be an openness, a vulnerability that goes both ways. What, what inspires your trust in God that he loves to be with you in prayer? Like, he really enjoys it. 
Is there anything that can inspire your trust to believe that so that you can pray with a greater sense of freedom? And lastly, what is your main takeaway from reflecting on Abraham's new thing relationship with God here in Genesis 18? And how will you make that thing part of your relationship with God going forward? Love to know what you think. Next time, we're going to look at another Old Testament character, but today that'll do uh, as we've looked here at Abraham and his new thing, relationship with, with God. Let me know what your thoughts are. You can email me. It's on the screen there, or you can drop me a message anytime you like, but I hope and pray that these discussions together and these lessons are helpful to allow God to do a new thing in us, in our groups, and through us into the world that for sure needs to hear from God. Till next time, take care. God bless.